Hi everyone, I'm Doug Melia, host of Same Kit Different Day podcast, and I've got Mark with me today. Mark, how are you doing? I'm all right, I'm all right, thank you, all things considered. So Mark, for the benefit of our listeners, could you tell us what your job role is now and um, what um, where, whereabouts you work, who you work with? Um, the um, the humorous one is to say I'm a government directive implementer. The honest okay. one says I'm a head teacher of a primary school. Um, uh, head teacher of voluntary primary school, Church of England school in inner city Preston, serving quite a diverse and challenging area. Um, and I forgot what your other question was. Sorry, my brain's a bit mush. No, that's it's all right. Interesting so we, it, we, we met on a, a recent course where we updated your physical intervention training. That was that was sometime, was it earlier this year or last year? Lose track. It was it was back in the spring term before this glorious lockdown started. That's yeah, right. you yeah. came yeah. in. Oh, those, the, uh, oh, those days. I know, those heady days. <laughs> you came and did the uh, the legal side of things for us then when the college did all the, the physical side of things, which was um that's how we met, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now we um my the sort of legal stuff we do, we're often translating government guidance. So I'm no stranger to stuff coming out from the gu- the guidance from the government. Um, we always have to look at that compared to things like health and safety, human rights, safeguarding, and then come up with a sensible course for people to, to follow. Now, I know I was speaking to you the other day, How many, roughly how many government guidance documents have you cast eyes on over the last week? Uh, well, in terms of all this uh, proposed reopening of schools, uh, at least 14 different government uh, documents. Some are supplementals, and in those supplementals, things are repeated in each one, some are slight differences. And in a one-week period, some of those were updated as well. So it's been an interesting time. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty confusing. So just off the off the uh, the COVID nineteen rhetoric, because we're going to get back on it. Don't worry. How did you get into your profession? I always ask this of the uh, the guests on our show. Well, um, I don't know. It's always one of those things I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a teacher. I always enjoyed actually being at school myself. I wasn't the most academic of uh, children, uh, far from it. Um, but I just actually enjoyed being at school, enjoyed the whole experience. It just seemed a, a natural progression for me to actually go into teaching. To stay there. Excellent. Yeah. I've also got extended family members who uh, have been teachers. I mean, some no longer with us, but uh, various uh, different roles as teachers or head teachers or, or special needs teachers. So. I had a connection there. Excellent. And has that always been in the Lancashire area? My whole career has been uh, for Lancashire, yes. Excellent. 26 Good. years maybe now. Wow, brilliant. So what's the views of other heads around? I know that, I mean, you haven't had a break, have you? You've been in pretty much straight through. The only days we've taken where we've not been open has been the bank holidays. Apart from that, we've been open every single day since lockdown. Um, what... uh, we've done a rotor to look after ourselves. So Yeah. I technically, I'm only rotated on Monday and Friday to be in school. Um, still working, even if at home. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I've, I've been in more days than that, and so a lot of other stuff. We've tried to look after well-being. In the early days, we did, apart from leadership team, we took on the lion's share of responsibility, rightly so. Everyone else did one day every three weeks um, just to try and manage them in terms of their well-being, also their potential exposure to the virus, where you know, we're still learning, we're still not entirely sure about the uh, 
children's role in transmitting it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for us, it's been, uh, I mean, I locked, I was over in Dublin and I locked down as soon as I came back just because of the nature of me traveling from school to school. Um, and I've spoken to some people and it's been, it's almost been like a bit of a wartime mentality where people have been like, you know, let's get out there and let's help people. But then you've got the government saying, stay at home. So a lot, I think a lot of people haven't known what to do, especially teachers, because as well as being teachers, you're mums and dads, aren't you? So you've got to manage the risks of your kids being at home. How, how have you seen teachers manage that? Uh, it's been a big challenge. The, um, A lot of worry, a lot of concern. Uh, we've got uh, a fair chunk of our population of teachers, support staff, and also our children come from the black and minority ethnic community where there is information out there that the risk is increased for them. Yeah. Um, I have had staff members who have lost extended family members through this, so we, we bear that in mind. That's yeah. quite real and quite raw for them. It's... Uh, yeah, it, it's a huge burden mentally for everybody. And I suppose as head teacher, I'm always conscious of, am I expecting staff to do things that's appropriate? Am I expecting too much? What's their well-being like? Um, you know, my own family, my wife's a primary teacher as well. So at her school, she's in and out on a rotor. Yeah. Thankfully, my own children are a bit older. My youngest is uh, six, nearly 17. Uh, my oldest is 20. So they're, they're a bit more able to... Uh, they're less in need of direct care than the younger ones. But I've, I've got staff with, with young babies. And, of course. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a balance and it's a challenge. Um, have we got it right? Only time will tell. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a lot of schools come, <clears throat> look to coming back on the 1st of June or trying to put risk assessments in place for going back. What's the general consensus amongst your community of, of leadership from, from the, the um, of schools? We've got uh, a WhatsApp group chat of right. the local cluster yeah. and that has been an absolute godsend for me because having other head teachers you, know, you sit there sometimes and you think i really should know this i should be able to do this but i'm looking at this and thinking i haven't actually got a foggiest idea what i'm going to do about this no. so you get on the group chat and you go is it me and it pings back straight away nope nope same boat i'm just completely having complete head explosion at this point so that's been really good but also it's been good to share ideas um, to say, well, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you reckon? Well, I like that, but have you considered what about doing this and, and yeah. try doing that? So even though we serve, you know, geographically, I think we're less than a mile and a half apart from each other while our schools, the diversity between the schools is quite significant yeah, in terms yeah. of demographics. Um, so we're each one and all with different buildings. I and mean, you've seen our building. It's, yeah. um, it's a challenge. Um, we are a two-form entry school. We're on two stories. It's a Victorian building, yep. in, literally, and in all the challenges that that brings with it. And we have two playgrounds, neither of which is big enough to get the whole school on. Right. So with a total population, including nursery, of nearly 450 children, it's a huge logistical challenge to try and respond to the guidance to try and bring even some of them back. Yep. So uh, 1st of June, I don't... I think I know of one school that if they're told they need to, they're going to be ready by the 3rd of June. Yeah. Um, we're looking at the 8th at the earliest possible. And I know some are looking even as far as the 15th. So it's differences, but we're responding according to our need, what we can actually practically and as far as we're concerned, as reasonably safe as possible um, can do. But 
it's not clear cut by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's there's so much ambiguity for me as well. I mean, we we've got similar to you with the WhatsApp group. We keep in touch with other trainers in our professions. Uh, and we sort of train with each other and I go and refresh with people and, and I go and train other trainers. So we've got a great community that we've had for sort of the last 20 years. And we've all been trying to make sense of the, the guidance around things like social distancing. And then we think we've put a plan together and then I go off to Tesco's and I think, well, this isn't this isn't working. You know, you've got all the social distancing, but the guy that's putting the veg on the shelves is sneaking behind me. So like, is is, it, yeah. is is there no social distancing from the back of a person? Does it just matter about the front of the person? And then, again, we did another risk assessment to say, right, let's go back. And then they started saying that people could share cars, but they're not allowed to look at each other. Or they've possibly got to wear, <laughs> wear, wear a mask. And you think, where is this advice coming from? And, and, you know, we just keep coming back to risk assessments. We keep coming back to risk assessments. And I, I, I wouldn't blame a school if they said, our risk assessment says that, no, our, our risk assessment actually says, no, we can't facilitate that. We can continue to facilitate the amount of children we've been having and the vulnerable children to make sure there's no safeguarding risks or for the children of, of key workers. Um, but if Tesco's can't do it properly, and as you say, there's families that are dying as a result of this, I, I don't. I, I wonder if it's fair to say, right, 1st of June, off you, off you go back in again. Do you think you're going to have much resistance? I mean, you've already said some schools are talking about the 3rd and the 15th. Do you think some people will just say no? Well, we've actually been, the last few days, we've been busy surveying the uh, parents. We've said, Great. looking at our building and everything else and staff availability, we've said at the moment, accommodating year six, we're not able to do. So we've looked at nursery reception year one. We still haven't said we can certainly do that. We've been surveying the parents to see yeah. um, what they, we've got a survey monkey survey out, which has come back roughly 60-40 against coming back. We've been ringing around today. In fact, just when you, you called me, I'm just halfway through doing it, um, just doing a spreadsheet of all the responses. Staff have been ringing the parents directly. Right. Those we can get hold of, again, I would say the majority are no, they're not comfortable yet sending their children back. Because yeah. we've had to be honest, you've seen on the news, we won't be able to offer an education or a classroom experience no. as we did before the lockdown. There's anything like you know, it. It's, it's it won't a, resemble a normal no. school. No. You will be in one of these glorious new bubbles and you will stay in that. You won't interact with other people. You won't have the soft toys. You won't have the things we can't clean. No. You won't have this. You'll have limited time outside. And you look at it and just think, as an educationalist, this is horrible. This, yeah. this is not what we're meant to do. And I understand the need for distancing. But it's, you know, anyone who's never been in a reception nursery classroom, at least it's like herding cats. Yes. Um, you know, so... The, the guidance document, and I'm happy going on record saying this, the section that talks about um, the social distancing schools, in year six and year five, and certainly earlier, we have to teach about inference in a, in a text. Yeah. What is the author trying to suggest? It is a masterpiece of inference because it talks about we, we recognise that social distancing with children is extremely difficult, yeah. even the two-metre distance. And then it goes straight to talking about no more than 15 in a bubble. So what are you actually telling us? Are you actually telling us you want us to put 15 in there, yeah. but you're not going to clearly say, don't do two metres. You're just saying, we recognise you can't. That makes it very difficult for us to have any specific clarity on how we're going to realistically do this. So we're trying to say, do we stick to two metres? 
does that mean you have to sit four-year-olds at tables? Yeah. That's a non-stop. That's, that, that's more cruel than actually yeah. not having them in. It's, right. um, and for those that remember Yes Minister and, and that, for, for my generation, if they remember Sir Humphrey, Sir Humphrey would be delighted with the double speaking all the guides because it's so gloriously vague in many ways. Yeah. You're not really sure what you're doing. That's my opinion. I know there's people who disagree, but it's um, for me, it's that lack of absolute clarity of you must stick to two metres or... No, you mustn't. And here's science that says that's okay to do. Yeah. Now, Sage have released their, their, their information. There's going to be people from many different organisations going over that with the finest of tooth codes. But um, I'm just not, personally, I'm not confident yet that we've got enough information to confidently say, yeah, we can do this. Um, I've got the responsibility to my staff and to the children and their families. And, yeah, I'd take that seriously and I'm not going to play past the this really. No, because although there's new guidance documents around, those of you that have heard me speak before or we've done training with, you know I talk about the hierarchy of law with it being a pyramid and at the top you've got the likes of human rights and health and safety and then it cascades down and guidance sits right down at the bottom. And especially where it's very ambiguous guidance that doesn't tend to relate to health and safety law, um, doesn't tend to relate to any of the Education or Inspection Acts. Like you say, it's just very ambiguous, wishy-washy statements um, that sometimes contradict each other. And, I mean, the two-metre two rule, where they talk about it not being possible, what does that mean? You know, it's, it's physically possible if we stick barriers in place or we stick some kind of hula hoop with spikes on it or another hula hoop around it. But... It isn't possible to teach someone, communicate with someone, um, show empathy, do any of the things that we promote within the curriculum for children to learn. It doesn't make a conducive learning environment. So if it's just a case of um, getting everyone back so the Treasury's happy, so the government, the, com the country starts moving again, that, that would be the way it indicates to me, rather than children getting any, any learning done. I mean, the we've already got a system of sort of two-metre rule. It's called tables and desks, isn't it? And then you've got your own bubbles on those tables and desks. That's difficult enough to maintain without trying to then segregate the children on, on their own. What what learning can you set seen done, or will it just be a bums-on-seats exercise? Given the age range they're getting in, learning is going to be very difficult. I mean, the guidance says, you know, focus on phonics and reading. Well, if you're teaching a child at the age of four, five, six to read, you need to be sat alongside them. They need to see your face. Yes. You need to hear them. It's um, it's not just the words on the page. It's, it's making sure they are pronouncing correctly. Is there a speech issue there? Are we developing a speech language? Have they got specific exercises to do? Yes. And the closer proximity you are there, the closer proximity to breath. So does the teacher then put a mask on? Well, then the child isn't seeing the facial expression, isn't modelling the mouth posture. You know, there's so many subtleties and nuances in, in teaching reading. Um, I know one school, they've actually said they're ignoring all the advice about nursery reception year one. And they said they're going to go and put their year fives in because they know they can social distance and they can get some productive learning done. They've assessed that, they've made that decision, the governors back it. Brilliant, great, go for it. We're at the stage, we're just looking at, well, okay, the guidance says this. Can we do this? What's the uptake? If we assess that actually we can't do this, then we'll regroup and say, well, okay, which groups can we do it for? Yes. We've, we've tried to meet the guidance. We can't do it in the guidance. So where do we go next? Um, the older they are, the easier it is to actually teach in a sense because 
older children will be able to cope sitting at desks for longer. Yes. That, that's just the nature of it. Three, four, five-year-olds at desks, even for an hour? No. no. <laughs> it's no. not going to happen. Not going to happen. So just on something you did bring up, which has sort of been the bane of my life for the last few days, um, masks. How do you feel about masks? Masks in a school setting. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly where I'm at. So the one, it's, it's first of all, well, let me get my legal head on. It's PPE. It's work equipment. Yep. So you've got PPE regulations and you've got work equipment regulations and things like that. Absolutely. So I did a, a webinar the other day um, with uh, 3M, the people that make the masks. So I could basically find out what kind of things you need to have in place before you put masks on. So if you're wearing a mask, it's either to protect the wearer or obviously the person on the other side. And a lot of the masks, they expel bad air. So you're actually breathing bad air. And that's why you see the masks then with a the perspex sheet in front of the doctors. Um, if it's a case of merely catching the droplets, then you, you've got to look at sort of why, why it's there and, and when else those droplets are going to go. Because the kids aren't going to wear it for, for lunch. Is it the kids we're talking about wearing it or is it the adults? I think it'd be good for someone to draw a line and say, right, well, within the sectors where it's, it is impossible to social distance like reception like primary you know if it's if it's there they'll pick it up and they'll stick it in the mouth anyway so having a mask yeah. on a teacher isn't going to stop cross infection between between the two of them and the other thing that ppe regs say is that it shouldn't interfere with the work activity or the or their posture and things like that you need facial expressions to talk to people yeah. you need people to know i can't imagine having a telling off with a mask on, or I can't imagine having someone saying "well done" with, with a mask on. Was was there anything in the guidance? I mean, I'm going to look at them in the next week or so. I've been looking at stuff for our own sector. The guidance basically masks? says that well, it basically says that PPE in the school isn't necessary. There you go. That's basically what it says in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, there are scenarios where it might be. Um, I mean, certainly more so in some of the special schools that have more specialist provision with children with those significant additional needs. Yeah. Understandably, there is a, a greater need there, which makes more sense. The guidance we've got, or the way we're operating is, um, obviously some of the younger children, there may be toileting accidents. We've got to consider how we respond to that. Yeah. So, you know, disposable aprons, disposable gloves, roll your sleeves up so you can wipe your arms down if you need to. That That's, you know, but I mean, even in the sense with that, we've, we've got to talk about our intimate care policies. And, yeah talking about staff and maybe that isn't normally part of their job. Are they happy doing that? Yeah. The guidance also says that if, get your head around this one, if a child becomes ill within the bubble, they then need removing to a separate room. Right. Staff working with them should have appropriate PPE. Masks, gloves, aprons whatsoever. But I if thought they it wasn't necessary in schools. Well, there you go. Uh, if, if you... Uh, we were talking about this yesterday as staff. We had a couple of used teams. I met with the infant and the junior staff separately. And we were going to say, hang on, if this child's already been in that bubble yeah. after that point, by moving them out, what? I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know, but what difference are you actually making? Yes. They've already been in that bubble. Yeah. So actually, by taking them out and putting a mask on, actually, what difference are you making? Now, there might be a good scientific sound reason, and I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. But just as a layman reading that, I'm thinking, I can't see what difference you've actually made or achieved by suddenly putting PPE on. No, um, no. We've so it's 
we've got some clients in Australia and I've been watching how they are planning things and they've now got to this point where they've got, they, they have, they're allowed social bubbles. So they've got groups of people that they're allowed in their houses and moving with people. And I just think maybe that's where we're moving with this as, as we move forwards. But we've had lots of questions around physical intervention and we've had, I was having a discussion with someone today online People are saying to us, oh, we need we need physical intervention. And we're saying, well, why? Oh, well, we need it. We know we're, we're nearly coming up to our date. And now if the government are saying don't, you know, you've got a social distance and no unnecessary travel for an outsider to come into your school and mm. put hands on you. Or let's say we don't and we tell you to put hands on each other and demonstrate the techniques. We're, we're breaking we're breaking the law. We're breaking up well, the social distancing guidelines. Yeah. And then based on that was the government guidance at the time based on the science. If something happens or Nan gets ill or a friend gets ill based on that, track and trace is going to bring it back to us. Now, I understand that Health and Safety Act hasn't been um, taken away. It's still there. I understand there's obligations. But it, for me, it's about a balance. You've got to weigh up the risk of you getting injured by a student uh, but versus me coming in or me even through a video link saying get the staff together and get them physically touching each other. I think at this moment in time with the infection rate and the death rate as it is. And as you say, those members of staff might have st family members who've died from, from this to say to know oh, you, you're all right. I've got a risk assessment that says it's OK. I just don't think it's fair. And if you if you're at the stage where now you're saying we need training, what have you been doing for the last 26 years or however long you've been there? You know, surely this was an <laughs> well, issue absolutely. issue beforehand. So we've just been putting measures in place to say, look, we'll extend your certificates. We've got some instructional clips online if you want to, to go through them. But then we've had some people that are saying we'll submit evidence to you of us doing the techniques. And their argument has been, well, we we're we're already we're frontline workers. We're already working close together. So, for example, paramedics in ambulances or police officers in cars. And I'm thinking there's so much there's so much ambiguity there around what it is, especially when they're all on a bridge clapping together. And then people ring me and say, "Oh, why? You know, if we can clap next to each other. Why can't we have the training?" I mean, that's that's my views on it. And um, physical intervention. Do you have children that sometimes need to be held to calm them down? We have children that sometimes might need to be guided away yeah. from a situation. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily need to be held to calm them down. Um, but the reason we, we brought yourself in was because we've got a growing number of children who present with some challenges over and above that yeah. which we've been used to as a community. Um, we just wanted to make sure that whatever we were doing, we were doing it right. Um, Nine times out, well, about nine to nine times out of 100, if one of those children is having an issue, we just escort the rest of the children out of the classroom, That's right, leave yeah. that child on their own, leave staff in there just to guide them. Um, thankfully, they're younger, we're bigger, so they are less likely to have a go because, especially, you've met me, I'm six foot two nearly, so compared to a five-year-old, I'm a little bit taller, they're a little bit reticent to, um, to yeah, charge Yeah, and, and there's a good respect for the teachers in your workplace yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, so you, you're authority, yeah. authority figures rather than authoritarians. I totally, I totally get that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we've had to say, we've been asked about is um, risk assessing, physical intervention, the risks of physical intervention, because if it does come down to it and a member of staff needs to restrain someone, we've got the Employment Rights Act, which says... If you if there's a, a circumstance of serious or imminent danger, 
and you feel you can't manage it or and you need to leave the workplace to escape from that risk, you can do. Uh, and you can refuse to return whilst the danger persists. So you could realistically get in people saying, look, I don't want to get physically involved here. We're, we're, we're two meter distancing as normal. The risk of them getting infected or getting infected or causing us to give them infection is high. Uh, and I think that could be a difficult catch 22 for teachers to, to be in. What we've been discussing that, um, I've obviously been taking uh, guidance from some senior advisors yeah. uh, in the local authority especially the SEND, uh, we're still waiting for some absolute clarification from the legal department yeah. on different things. What we're thinking at the moment is for those children we know of, some have been at, um, either actually at a local pupil referral unit for a short stay and they've come yeah. back, or they're under their outreach team because we've got issues or they're ready for a place at the referral unit to spend some time for that very intensive support. Uh, we are risk assessing those individuals. Brilliant. You know, what are the behaviours we see? What risks do these pose? What control measures can we put in place? And then we propose to have a conversation with the parents, those children say, right, you know your child, you know the way they react, you know the way sometimes they kick off and do different things. This is how they have behaved. This is the risk it poses. If we feel this is an acceptable risk, we're going to talk to you about that yeah. and discuss check it through the local authority that legally we can do this. Yeah. And this is the, the difficulty because we've got the legalities yeah. balanced against the risks. Yeah. I mean, there's been so many words overused and that word unprecedented has been used to death and I'm sick of it, but I can't think of a better one at the moment. It is unprecedented. We've got the legalities that says, well, you can't refuse a child to place at school. Yeah. But then I've got this situation where... We're still, you know, the science is still somewhat ambiguous in places about uh, the spread of the disease. Yeah. So we've got a child who actually then presents a risk of spreading this by their behaviour, if they're a spitter or a biter or, or yep. whatever. If I've got as a potential risk, where do I stand? Because the legality says, no, that child has to be in, but the risk says that's unacceptable. Yeah. I've got to find a way of meeting that in the middle. And the measures to deal with somebody who's in, in, potentially infectious um, with what we're told is a serious disease and we know there are uh, people that get it are dying from it. So there's definitely a, a risk there. The, the statistics show us that. Um, what measures would you have to put in place? Well, in in hospitals, they've got full PPE. Like you said, it's not realistic. Um, we've been working with some ICU wards uh, because instead of heavily medicating people, we, we offer the use of soft restraints to bring people around who are perhaps combative. So police officers, when they're restraining people, they're cuffing them. They might even be putting spit masks or spit hoods on the heads. Now, I've, I've talked about this with you myself. Those kind of measures with children, they're highly restrictive. And it's not even something yeah. we'd, we'd try and consider. So I do wonder how it's going to be managed. I think some schools might resort, as you said, to the leaving of classrooms or even the overuse of seclusion. So taking a child to a room, putting the child in the room on their own and then containing them because th there's there's a chance that they might not calm down, you know, if, especially with the fear and everything that's going on. And then what are you left yeah. with? You're left with a child trashing the classroom, staff that are apprehensive to go in. Um, and when you phone the police, they're probably busy or they don't want to know why a six-year-old is causing you those, those problems. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, in that situation... We would uh, we would have to phone the parents and say, look, you have to come and collect them. Yes. I mean, the difficulty of that is, and some of the guidance I've already received, is that actually potentially is looking at formal exclusion. Yeah. 
because it's not like it's uh, at the minute where it's like key workers vulnerable that are invited and doing this is no. actual children on roll coming back. So again, it's, it's a gray area. Should it be an exclusion or should it be a case of, well, we're not all fully back. This is unprecedented. Can it work? At the end of the day, the law takes precedence and the law says yeah. that would be an exclusion and formally. Well, that's a whole different debate in itself. Yes. You know, um, I think we would have to take it on the, and it would have to be an exclusion, it would have to be an exclusion. Then got discussion about, well, okay, how long for, what category, what's this, you know. So it's just another headache to add to the other headaches that are going on in the background. Of course it is, yeah. I mean, behaviour is always a current issue in, an, in any climate. Um, and trying to maintain behaviour and have that, so it's... Um, it's not 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 regimented, but disciplined. I used to be a kids' martial arts teacher, and my advertising was it's disciplined but not regimented. And the kids, the parents loved that, and they understood that. Yeah, they have to line up, they have to be quiet when they're told, they have to achieve things and move forward. So, what changes are you going to have to make to your behaviour policy to enforce these new rules that the kids? That let's face it, some of the kids might not be following at home. They might not be following it in the street with their friends. We'd we'd like to think everybody's managing to keep a handle on this. Um, but I've been struggling with my own family. Mainly, to be honest, mainly the older members of our family who were like, why have you not come to see me? I'm like, well, you need to put the news on. You need to put the news on and, and follow a bit of what's going on. Well, what do you mean you can't even well, come to my house? I must admit on that, it's uh, just anecdotally from, from around here, we all noticed that uh, after the Prime Minister's uh, statement the other Sunday about, you know, we can start to relax it, it was like a switch had been flicked around here. Yeah. There's a, a, a chippy around the corner from the school. They're still doing the like one in, one out. The other night they were driving home, they were open. There was less than half a meter between people lining up yeah. outside. Um, post office over the road, one in, one out. People lining up outside. Suddenly the, the gaps that were there on the Friday were not there on the Monday. So we know, and we see the children out and about, we know they're not socially distancing, but we're still going to be trying to stick to that in school. Except how we enforce it, we were discussing this yesterday, especially with the ages of the children who are going to be yeah. bringing them in. The first things we, and coming back to your question about what we're going to be teaching, for a startup, we're just going to be checking they're all right. Yes. What is their, what is their emotional and mental state? You know, they've, they've been away from school, they've been, they've not had maybe, even if the parents aren't strictly sticking to social distancing in the early days, there will have been a lot of that. So there'll be a lot of hang ups. There yeah. will be, the anxieties from some of our uh, population, like I was alluded to earlier. So we're going to be doing a lot of work checking they're okay, just making it as much as we can a nice place to be, which we do anyway, but particularly as they're going to be after the normal classroom, after the normal routine, the way they come in is going to have to be quite strict, lining up two metres apart, drop off the gate, bring them through. It's specific times, you know, it's not going to be a case of everybody at the gate saying, you come, we're going to be insisting on that distancing and the line up outside. So that's going to be strange. Um, we're going to be teaching the children about, you know, if you do have to sneeze or cough, you get your tissue, you put it in the bin. We've just ordered a load of pedal bins now with lids so the tissue can go in there to Brilliant. keep on that, you know, trying to order extra antibacterial, this, that, you, you name it, you know. I mean, the only winners in all this are the PPE and the cleaning companies. They're going to be having a field day. Their shares don't go up. I don't know who's will. Um, so it, there's, there's a lot of that. Use the word enforced. That's the question, you know. Bearing in mind the age of the children, bearing in mind we're going to have to teach them, first of all, that actually this is the way when it is our time to come out of our bubble to move around yeah. school, the way we're going to have to do it. So we're going to have to practice that. You know, we're going to have to practice the hand washing, the supervising, antibacterial, all these different things are going to have to be supervised 
can talk for a start-up. And that's what we're still getting the, the guidance on to enforce what would be an appropriate sanction if they don't. You know, how serious is it if a child sneezes? Mm. How serious is it if the child coughs in someone else's face? If the science is saying they are low risk, how serious do we take it? At what point do you say, well, okay, for a six-year-old coughing in your face, that's okay. But if you're 10, that's not okay because you're older, you're at higher risk. As you can tell, I've just got so many things running around my mind. We had this yesterday. But we, we do on Monday's leadership team with the, the school's uh, union health and safety rep. We said, come on, let's talk together. How can we do it? We were there for about three hours. Yes. And every time we said, well, we can do this, someone said, yeah, but what about? Oh, we haven't thought of that. Okay, let's do this. Yeah, but what about? So we went through that for three hours. And then yesterday in the uh, staff meeting that we had, we said, look, we've gone through all this. And other people said, yeah, great. What about? And they're like, oh, great, I haven't thought of that. So yeah. this is why it's so difficult because each time you come with a solution, You've got a what about comes along, um, and that's you know, that enforcement question. Yeah, what about enforcement? We don't know, no, because we don't know how the children are going to react. Um, over uh, overriding is going to be their mental well being. Are they okay? Yeah, are they adapting? Are they adjusting? Are they traumatized? You know, all these different they, they have enough going on their lives anyway before lockdown because of some of the communities that we serve. So lockdown on top of this, um, you know, that, that's going to be our priority is teaching the routines, but making sure they're just okay and, yeah. and they're happy to do that. Yeah, make sure they're okay, make sure they're happy. Interesting what you say about sort of the, the coughing thing, because I've heard the term weaponized coughing or weaponized spitting used by, um, mm. by within my community now. And as you say, with the age of criminal responsibility, sitting within primary school years um where do you yeah. stand i mean i always i used to work with them um, in inner city manchester teaching kids self-defense and uh, kickboxing and karate when, when i first left school and when i was at school there would be words said as insults that were racial slurs and as we sort of uh, as we look at the diversity and equality and things like that we're having to, a lot of the time it's to do with low intelligence or cultural backgrounds and things like that, or of a lack, lack of vocabulary when they get mad, to be honest, and they throw this word out there. And that could ruin the rest of their lives because it, because it's deemed to be a crime. And as you say, if you've got someone coughing or spitting at someone and there's a genuine complaint made down the correct channels, that, that could change that child that child's life. You know, if you get a, if you get a criminal record, you can't travel to certain countries. Um, even if you don't get a criminal record, you're dragged through the the, the judicial system and you've got to suffer that trauma on top of what is trauma in the first place being put into a building when you've been moved from the building you've been told to stay at home and, and move forwards that that frightens me it, it's it's a difficult balance because whilst on the one hand we could quite happily deal with it within school yeah just say, right, okay, but then when it gets out and a parent finds out and so-and-so coughed on their child, yeah. an understanding that parent is like within the climate goes, oh, hang on, what are you doing about that? That's, yeah. that's very serious. How are you going to respond? You say, well, listen, take them on their age, the risk of that, that parent could understandably really not be happy about that. You've then got a whole different problem. Now, I know some people might say, stop looking for problems, looking for solutions. Well, <laughs> we are. We're, we're trying to work on solutions, but we have to consider the potential problems. And it's just, um, yeah, interesting. I I just feel that the chat we've had tells me that everything you're doing is preventative and not punitive, and that's that the way I think it has to be. I think you've got to make the social distancing as fun as it can be, because you know, okay, there are unprecedented times, as we say, um, but it, 
for some kids, it is exciting times. Some kids are like, I saw a meme today with someone saying a child's worrying about his powers after he wished for a miracle to help his exams. And you think there's some kids that can't believe the look because they're off and they're not doing anything. If you can make it, if you can make it fun and you can say to these yeah. kids, right, this is a game. And like you say, house point to merits rather than if this happens, you'll be. Because let's yeah. face it, it, I've always said to people, be careful of the threats you're making, because if you're not going to carry them out, it's it's wasted. It's just it's just threatening people. So maybe that's the way for schools to look at this. Assess kids mental health, get them in school, make them have fun, kind of put the the curriculum as we know it at one side and focus on those life skills and um, interpersonal relationships with each mm. other and and just sort of getting get into the summer absolutely and let's see what happens with that because it's talking summer schools now don't even start me on that one <laughs> You know, because it's, I mean, uh, before we chatted, I thought, what are we going to talk about? And I thought, I, I know a few of the questions. And one of the things I was going to ask was, maybe we should do stuff outside. Maybe we could get some parks. Because I know, like you say, yours is an old Victorian building. I grew up in Preston myself in a similar house to, house to the Red Brick. Um, but then I thought, well, you've got problems with getting kids there. Because you're going to have to put buses yeah. on to get them there in the first place. And like you say, every time you come up with a solution, there's another five sort of problems be, be behind us. And this is the difficulty with um, so many different schools. I mean, I keep talking about comparing us to Denmark. I don't know enough about its comment, but what I've heard is that in Denmark, they, the primary and the secondary schools tend to be the same building. Right. The secondary haven't gone back yet. Hey, presto, you've got a lot of space there in the schools. Yes. And their children don't start till they're six years old. So you've got a reduced number of children. They've got big outdoor space. I mean, a school I taught at um, the other side of Lancashire many years ago, when my wife would say I did a proper job when I actually talked instead of actually sitting in an office. Um, I get that, don't worry. We, we had massive playing fields. Now, in that school, you could, you know, an idea I had from a summer job I had years ago was I'd be like, go to marquee company. Like, can you supply yeah. me a few smaller marquees I can set up on the field? Brilliant, we can do that. You've seen our playground spaces. Yeah. We have to already stagger our break times because we haven't got enough space to have all our junior children safely out from the other at the same time. No. So if being outside is great, we've got to try and, but you can't have the other bubble outside at the same time. No. We worked out that potentially you're going to like come in at nine o'clock and then basically you might have your slot at 9.15 for your break, but then you're going to be stuck inside there till one o'clock. Yes. You know, it's, so it's, uh, the solution is get outside. Absolutely. You know, if the, if the good weather comes along or stays along, we can be outside as much as we can, but then we've got the restrictions on the space for doing it, which other schools that may have more outdoor space and then accommodate more. Then you get parents going, well, why aren't you open as much as they are? Well, they've got a field, we haven't. You know? And it's, it's explaining to everybody why you can't do as, as much as other people. No. I think so, that uh, um, for me, the, the two meter rule has maybe been put in there to say, don't stand near to each other. You know, they've gone, right, let's, okay, maybe it's, we don't want them to cough on each other, right? Well, they can't be near, let's say two meters. Let, let's say it's, it, it's that way. Um, th th aside from that, one of the things I, I've been promoting to my family and friends is get your immunity up, you know, get your immunity up because 
there's there's nothing we can't there's stuff in the air they're now saying that droplets from bike riding and panting and coughing are all over i even read something by one scientist that says it's spreading farts i was like oh i've heard it all now and you know there's there's no classroom safe from that that risk risk measure is there so i think yeah, maybe year six classroom you, you do <laughs> i think that maybe um during exam times, I know that um, a teacher I, I used to work with, she brought bananas in for the kids because she was like, it increases your zinc levels and it helps you concentrate and things like that. And when I was at school, we used to get force-fed milk and things. So may maybe it's less about enforcing the, re the social distancing measures and saying, look, try and be as sensible as we can with this. Let's try and encourage the kids to up their healthy habits so that they're less likely to catch it rather than trying to arbitrary saying right let's make keep you two meters apart and if you can find a way to get children to voluntarily eat fruit let me know <laughs> that's even that's <laughs> another different podcast maybe there's a sales pitch <laughs> well mark thank no, you you're right it is it's, it's about looking after yourself and promoting that again i'm careful not to um give too broad brush description of, yeah. of our localities you know we've got fantastic people that do a really yeah. good job but recognizing the area we live in yeah you know it's um the ability for some of our families to actually cook is a challenge the ability to actually know what a healthy diet looks like is a challenge for them um so you know it's it's an interesting one but you're right you know it's, and I, I feel that thinking back to the, the conversation we've had I, I feel like i've been quite negative and i'm trying no, i'm not. not by nature a negative person um but it, this you know, conversations we've had amongst heads locally is you do feel you've been in quite negative. It's like, we can't do, we can't do, you know, the, the whole profession, um, me coming into this was always a case of what can I do? Yeah. What can I do to make a difference? One of the reasons why I came to this school as head teacher just over a year now was, well, what can I do to make a difference? And you don't always feel like you are, especially when things like this come along, you just think, Right, okay. But then we actually sat down and looked back at what we've done to serve our community. Well, actually, yeah, we, we have done a lot. We can always do more. We'll never be happy unless we've no. done the ultimate. But it's um, the next few weeks are going to be interesting because there is understandable fear and mistrust in some of the things that are coming out at a national level. Yeah. Um, and it's trying to balance that. You know, we did have a very good conversation with staff saying, well, what can we do? You know, I had a conversation with member of staff today. School's horrible at the moment because it's too quiet. It's just too quiet. It should be full of, of children that are noisy, quiet, yep. lively, still. And it's not. And we do want that back. But equally, we want that back when we know we're not going to cause massive problems for ourselves or our community. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but just when and how. No, exactly. The There's something I say to, to our clients, and I always say, look, if you risk assess... It's like the risk assessing the activity of physical intervention and they talk about restraining bigger kids and i always say look if you did it if, if you don't think you're going to succeed if you didn't think you were going to have a successful and safe pe lesson or you didn't think you were going to have a successful school trip you wouldn't just go oh let's wing it and have a go at it you'd go oh let's sit down and let's go through the steps to make sure what we're doing is right and i'm glad i'm glad we've had this discussion because i've had discussions with other people from different sectors and we're all in the same boat for the first time we're having to say oh well we're just gonna have to sort of trust 
the government on this or trust the fact that they're saying the rate of infection you catching it is relatively low uh, we have to follow the guidance as best we can but it is a case of sort of off, off you go isn't it yeah very much so uh, and it is right and proper that individual schools are allowed to make their decision because you know as i said before with our cluster we're geographically not too far apart but no. the difference in our buildings premises and yep. communities can be quite significant so you can't do a one-size-fits-all. What you can do is a one-size-fits-all specific about social distancing. Yes. And I think for me, that's the thing we haven't got. It's, yes. you know, do you do two meters or don't you? Just tell us that. Don't just give us a vague, well, we know two meters doesn't work. That's the problem. But anyway, I'm starting to moan again. We'll get there. We'll, we'll find a solution. Yeah. What that solution will look like, I'm still not 100% sure, but you know, we're still working on it. We'll get there. Oh, we'll keep us posted. And if there's any way we can support you, obviously, just let us know. Magic. Thanks very much indeed. Always. Thanks for coming on. Bye, Mark.